I want to talk to you about Satan's four big lies. Satan's four big lies. Let me preface the message with these remarks. Right now, America, maybe the world as a whole, although there are countries that are exceptions, but America and many countries are going through a decline in Christianity. That's not unbelief or I'm being negative. It's like going to a doctor. A doctor's going to tell you what the deal is. Am I correct? You can't spin something into something that it's not. The facts are what they are. Es lo que es. This was happening pre-pandemic, but the pandemic really sped things up. And now people who disappeared during the pandemic, a lot of them, they ain't coming back. And they're saying that they're watching at home. Uh, That could be, that could be not. But right now, the major denomination, uh, Protestant denomination in America is down in attendance throughout the entire country except for one area where it's up 1%. Otherwise, it's all declined. Now, denominations, you know, are like countries. They have to spin, like political parties. They have to spin things to make it look like, no, we're doing great. We're taking America for God and all of this stuff. But the truth is the truth. There's a decline. There's a decline in almost every denomination. Now churches are closing because there's no pastors. Bible schools, seminaries that were once started to prepare ministers are closing up or have gone to uh, secular schools, you know, where you can get a degree in accounting or nursing, and that's fine. But they were not started that way. They were started to produce missionaries and pastors, etc. But they went into a full education, became universities. Then you have to get professors who are qualified, and they might not be Christian. And the next thing you know, the whole thing is sideways. Those schools, I've researched and checked and talked to friends who are heads of these schools, sometimes they have in the ministry track, which is why they were founded. They were started with hard-earned money being given by Christians, a lot of it during the Depression, the 1930s. Isn't it amazing? When things were hardest, God was doing the greatest. Two percent are in the ministry track. So a school that was once built just to produce ministers. Now 2% of that, if that, are studying to become ministers. So denominations, where are you going to find? Where are you going to find pastors to train? Well, of course, the problem that, though, is the local church because schools can't manufacture young people who want to live for God and want to sacrifice. Schools don't have a factory in the basement to do that. Where, over the centuries, where have young people come from who are going to be used by God from local churches? They meet the Lord. They get saved. They consecrate themselves at some altar and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. They end up in a seminary, a Bible school, and the beat goes on, and then they go out. But if the local church gets lukewarm, if the local church doesn't preach the gospel anymore and is just into some political nonsense or racial nonsense or keep the attendance up so don't preach anything anyone could get offended by, then there's no young people being produced. Right here in this city, two schools that have been here seemingly forever, King's College and Nyack, both closed down within the same, what, eight, nine-month period. Shut down. Nyack, A.B. Simpson, the founder, one of the leaders of a group called the Christian Missionary Alliance, founded that school. 
And I know more probably about him and his writings. They've helped me over the years since I didn't go to seminary myself. So books have been my teachers and still are many times. And A.B. Simpson was one of the greatest men of God that was ever in America, at least. Now his school is defunct. Why? Because there weren't students, and, and then there's money, and then it's a squeeze, and so on and so forth. Everyone knows here in America, the country is much more secular and anti-Christ than ever before. Everyone who knows that, just say amen. I mean, that's not even questionable. Anybody who knows anything knows that. The Board of Ed in this city is probably one of the most ungodly, anti-Bible, anti-Christian things that you could imagine. And what they're doing to try to twist the lives and minds of our children. And so it is with the political parties, both of them put together aren't worth anything in terms of the things of Christ. They're not the salt of the earth. They're not the light of the world. We're supposed to be. And then even, forget our nation, even countries like 25 years ago, any minister would tell you the most Christian nation, which had the three biggest churches in the world 25, 30 years ago, were all in Korea. And that country has changed a lot. I had the privilege, honor of preaching in all those three churches in the years gone by. But when I made my last visit to Korea, the pastors were totally open and telling me we're going sideways here, losing the youth, K-pop culture, the feminization of men, and all of that horrible stuff has just invaded and sucked away the young people from the church. They're in a decline. They're telling you that there was a decline. My grandson Luke went with me the last time I was there, and a major evangelist wanted to have a meeting there, and I was at one of the largest churches there, and in the green room, the pastor just told the representative of this uh, well-known evangelist, oh, I wouldn't come here right now. The newspapers, everything is anti-Christian. This is in Korea. Korea used to be like the New Jerusalem. It was considered just... People praying, people giving, great churches, and there still are great churches there. And there's exceptions to everything that I just said. God is working mightily in, wait till you see this and get this book coming out in November. And you hear my friend Ron Olivier, 23 Summers, right? It's called 27 Summers. And, and, and God is doing stuff in prisons that no one could ever imagine. And I, I'm God willing, I'm going with uh, the group here and some others to a prison in Mississippi. So the Lord is working, but generally speaking, the organized church is going through real hard times. And forget Europe. I was just over in, in Scotland and in England, talked to pastors there. And as I told you, in Scotland, there's exceptions now. I met some of those exceptions. But basically, if you have 30, 40 people in your church, you have a mega church. And that's Scotland, where there was a reformation. And some of the greatest spiritual giants that ever lived came out of Scotland. I just have to tell you real quick because I know your sense of humor. I'm in Scotland, and my grandson Luke had told me, Papa, do not bring up football, soccer. Do not bring that up in a meeting because they are violent and rabid about it, right? So you've heard of the English Premier League, right, where there's soccer in England. Well, Scotland is on steroids compared to England, right? So... I'm teaching a couple hundred pastors these different cities, and their two teams, the Celtics and the Rangers, are the two big teams in Glasgow, Scotland. And I'm talking to the pastors. I'm teaching about wisdom. 
And I was about to display the greatest lack of wisdom that they had ever seen. So while I'm talking, everyone's quiet, and we're talking, and I, what got a hold of me? I went to a guy in the front row. I said, and you know what? When we use wisdom, God will make us so happy. You know, it would be like if you were a Celtic fan, which he was. I should have never said that, but he was. I said, and you beat this guy's team, the Rangers, here, two to nil. That's how happy you would be. And suddenly he leaped up and he went, and we'll beat them every day of the week. And suddenly these guys jumped up and went, never in your dreams will you beat it. Suddenly people are jumping up all over the place, yelling at each other. And I'm there with my microphone, just like I lost total control of the meeting within five seconds. So I said, everybody sit down. Total lack of wisdom on my part. And I was warned not to do that, but they take it serious. Like, we, you know, here college football, Auburn, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, NBA, you know, Nick, Celtic, whatever. That's playtime compared to, it's like a religion over there. This is happening everywhere. Christianity has been, we're in trouble seas right now. But anywhere, any church, any family, any man who reaches out to God, God is going to do amazing things. How many believe that? Lift your one hand up and say amen. Okay. So among older people, pandemic accented this, uh, older adults and all of that, a lot of them are saying, as I'm working with someone now who I'm trying to minister to, he might be watching now in another state, and he said to me while we're dialoguing, because the Lord had laid him on my heart in such a strong way, and I don't know him. I've never met him. But I got in contact with him because I wanted to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And he said to me, I'm just not sure I believe what I used to believe. The guy was involved in ministry. Now he's telling me, I'm not just sure that I believe what I used to believe. Now young people, young adults, that's one of the hardest nuts to crack, like James talking about teens. But in the 20s, people in their 20s, once they get to college, even if they grew up in church, bye-bye. I hear that from everybody. I don't know what happened to Ralph. He grew up in the church, and then he went away. And Come on, we all know those stories. How is that happening? Obviously, it's Satan is working against the kingdom. And I want to just stop for a moment here and talk about the great lies, four huge ones that Satan gives us, tries to sell us, and it might affect you and your family. Notice now, adults who fall away from the faith, this affects their children. Just like Christians produce Christians and one generation to another, backsliding unbelief goes right on. If you never hear the Lord mentioned, you never see a Bible, you don't see anyone going to church, what's the kid going to think? And those youth have this attitude like, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Let's go back because these lies started a long time ago. In fact, I'll give you the first lie. When Satan, you know, they say about a politician, if his mouth is moving, he's lying, right? <laughs> Satan for sure is the father of all lies. So we go back to Genesis, and we read this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Didn't contradict, just asked the question. 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Notice, not only not taste it, but to be safeguard, don't touch it, don't get near it. You know, there are certain things, not only don't do it, don't get near it. Are you listening to me? Okay, my dad took one drink and he started 22 years being an alcoholic. But the drink was served at a party that he shouldn't have been at. But, you know, you try to fit in, and that's where things go bad. So, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, the lust of the eye, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then God later came walking in the garden and said, like, where are you? Adam, where are you? What have you done? Because there was no death. God didn't plan for people to die. But when sin comes, death comes. Separation from God, death, physical death, separation, your soul from your body. Then the second death is separation of your soul from God forever. So notice the first lie. The first lie Satan is telling everyone, including you and ministers and everyone else. Just a leading minister just recently of the, the younger generation has come out with there's nothing wrong with gay marriage, this, that, and the other. And although his father was a stalwart of the faith, he just has totally flipped. These lies are being told to ministers too. What is the first lie? The first lie is, did God really say that? Yo, Eve, did God really say that? How do you know God said that? And if he said it, did he really mean it? Now, I noticed in rereading Genesis that when God told Adam about, you have all freedom to do this and that, it's all good for you, but there are certain things, don't do there, don't go there. That's what this is all about. There are things that are legitimate and there are things that are bad for you and they offend me and it's gonna bring death. She wasn't yet created. So she only heard this from Adam. So the Satan could have come and said, you sure, you sure your husband got it right? You know, he's sideways a lot. You notice that. Are you sure that's right? Did God really say that? So that's the first thing for all of us to be aware of as we try to live for Christ and minister the gospel. Satan is constantly questioning this book. Did God really say that? Is that true? How do we know Maybe just Ezra wrote that part. Paul made this stuff up. Maybe Paul didn't even write it. Just chipping away at the authority of God's word. That's the question for all of us. Do we really believe this is thus saith the Lord, the eternal word of God? Are you banking your life and building your foundation on what God says or what the culture says? Or worse, what you think? No, I, I talk to people, they have opinions. Imagine, God said something, but they have an opinion that disagrees and contradicts God, and God gives them every breath they take. 
and he could take it away at any second. But they're questioning God. Like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's wrong. So this is where it all starts. For a minister, for a Christian, for the Christian church, if we lose this, we lose everything. And how much you really believe that, I can tell you how to check it. Don't check it with me. Check it with yourself, how much you read it. If I were going to advertise, forget Dr. Mully, if I were going to say this Tuesday night, uh, Jesus was going to be here and he was going to talk to us, there'd be lines outside the building. Are you kidding me? But Jesus is talking to us. Every single day, if we'll just read it, God is telling us things for our good, not for our bad, our good. He wants to see us put our weight on God's eternal word, truth, faithfulness. This is found in the Old Testament, that famous long chapter, Psalm 119, where the writer says, inspired by God, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If you don't have God's word, you won't know where you're going. Please listen to me, everyone. You won't know where you're going. Don't tell me how much education you have. You won't know where you're going. God knows more than you. Have you noticed that? He knows everything. And when we go by God's word, even though people mock it and laugh it at us and say, you got to let it all hang out. Why are you living? The, what are you, old school? What are you, like antediluvian? What, what's wrong with you? You Just ignore that. Just know this. God's word is always going to put us on the right path. Let's put our hands together and say amen to that. When God says don't do something, he's not trying to rain on your parade. He's trying to save your life and your family. When God says do something, it doesn't matter how hard it is, he'll help you to do it. But it's for your good. There's a way that seems right to us, but the end is destruction. Look how empty people's lives are even though they're billionaires, which is not even a big thing anymore. I forgot how many hundreds of thousands of people in New York City are already millionaires. But even billionaires and whatever, empty, nothing. And they're going to lose everything in a millisecond and have a, a horrible eternity ahead of them. But they, and they're not fulfilled, but they keep on doing the same thing. It's like moral insanity. It doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies your soul. And the Bible tells us about this salvation, this Jesus, right and wrong. Jesus, another one in Psalm 119, says this. Uh, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. If you study history, one scientific breakthrough, people believe that. And then 100 years later, they went, oh, no, that's not exactly right. Now we learn this. You know, it's all changing, developing. But God's word, it's settled forever. No, no, listen. Not changing. Not changing. Right is right, wrong is wrong, God is good, God is love, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. Nothing's changing about that. So what are you banking your life on? Your iPhone or the word of God? Real Housewives of Atlanta? Is there such a program? Do you ever listen to some of the nonsense that's talked on TV? And people are watching that and going, mm, that's so Good. Good. These people are going to disappear in a second. Don't you want to build your life and for your family on the word of God? Listen to what Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So if you're here today and say, uh, I, I don't believe, you know. Well, then listen. Then Jesus is a liar, and he's a fake, and he's a fraud. At least be honest with yourself. 
Come out of the closet and be honest. Be honest. Either Jesus is a fraud and a faker and a deceiver, or he is the son of God, and what he said is true. But you can't have it both ways. Don't say Jesus is, oh, in trouble, I call on the Lord. No, you don't. You don't. It's either right and it's true, or he's a hoax. And then don't even read your Bible again. And don't come to church anymore. It's a joke. Either one way or another, choose you today who you're going to serve. Be real about the thing, though. Please, listen to me. Well, the next thing, the lie that Satan gave them was this. No, you will not die if you eat that. He's not telling you the truth. There are no repercussions. So listen to me now. Here's the second lie. The first lie is, did God really say that? Can you trust God? How do you know his word is true, etc.? Number two, there are no repercussions. There's no sowing and reaping. You live any way you want because it doesn't matter. When you die, we all just go to the grave. That's the big lie. You can sleep around. You can do this. You can be unfaithful. You can lie and hate and be a racist, and it doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter. There's no objective, eternal truth. There's no absolutes. Everybody decides. That's what he led them to. Listen to this lie. There's no repercussions. Some of you that are listening to me and watching, you're living a secret double life, but no one's going to know, and you'll never have to pay. You will pay, and everyone in the universe will know, because there's a day where God opens up and reveals the secrets of everybody's life, starting with me. Satan says to him, not only are there no repercussions, you can sow apple seed and you'll end up with a cantaloupe. No. So don't worry about it, Eve. You're not going to die. He's lying to you. He's trying to rain on your parade. Don't you get it? He knows that if you let it all hang out and do what you want, you'll be like God. Notice, and you'll know and decide and dictate what's wrong and what's right. Is that not happening everywhere? Is that not happening everywhere? People are under this lie that I decide what's right and wrong. Our arrogance, our pride, right here in this building and elsewhere and all around the culture is, I judge God. He doesn't judge me. I don't submit to this book. I pick and choose what I like. But when I read something that, you know, bangs into my self-life, I dismiss it. It doesn't apply to me. I pick and choose. I'm God. Whenever you pick and choose from the Bible, you're setting yourself as God. You think you're God. Not God. You don't humble yourself, but you don't do that to a doctor. When a doctor's been trained and you go, you don't give your opinion. Well, that's your opinion, doc. No, dude, I got all the tests here. This is what's happening. That's your opinion. I got a different opinion. That big goiter here on the back, that's not cancer. That's a softball. I got hit once when I was little. And it's got in there and stuck. Doctor's going to laugh at you. But this is how people are living today. Some of you, you pick and choose. You don't come humbly to God's word and say, Lord, I want to please you. Speak. I'm listening. We pick up the Bible and we pick up ammunition for our lifestyle that we're already living. Sad. That's a lie. Satan is a deceiver. Part of this whole charade, of course, is Satan doesn't want you to believe that he even exists. But again, if he doesn't exist, Jesus is a liar. The word of God is a lie because Jesus was tempted by the devil. He spoke about the devil many, many times. 
there is a Satan and he tells lies. He's the father of lies. When he speaks, he's lying. And the first thing he says, can you really be sure this is God's word? Get intellectual about the whole thing. Go to college for a couple of years so that you can look and go, I used to believe that, but now I have an associate's degree in gym equipment. And uh, now I can judge this. Oh, pride cometh before a fall and a haughty spirit. Some of you need to wake up. This is not a sermon. You can tell, right? I'm, I'm pleading with you. Would you please wake up? God's word is going to come true. Every jot, every tittle, not one thing will change. You don't make God fit into you. You fit into God. He's the creator. He's the center. Come on. Let's say a loud amen to that. Those are two big lies. Are we sure this is God's word? And number two, there are no repercussions. I do what I do, and there's no result. There's no sowing and reaping. There's no judgment. The Bible says it's appointed man once to die, and then the judgment. We're all going to stand before God. Again, unless this whole thing is, is a charade, including Jesus. So here's the third. Here's the other lie. All right, uh, there's, there's stuff in here that convicts me. I know it's true. Jesus did live a good life. And there is a difference between good and bad. But listen, I don't mind going to church. And I try to give a, uh, live a good life. After that, get out of my face. Hey, I'm trying to live a good life. What do you think, I'm a degenerate of some kind? I try to live a good life. And I go to church, Easter for sure. Christmas, I love it with the little angels and the cherubim and all. And I, I stop in. Hey, when the baby's born, I want that baby dedicated. Hey, what do you think? I'm a pagan. I want that baby dedicated. And I'm going to buy a dress because you're in church now. But I don't need a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need to be born again. I don't need to lose my life so I can find it. I don't need to make him the center of everything in my life. I fit him in where I need him. That, oh, this is a huge lie from Satan. Listen to what Jesus said. To a man named Nicodemus. Jesus replied, very very truly, or verily, verily, very truly, for emphasis, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God and enter into it unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. He was a religious leader of the Jews. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Natural birth, supernatural birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Listen, that's the big question which Satan wants you and I to avoid. Are you born again? I go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, means nothing. But I'm a member and I give. It means nothing, all due respect. Thank you for your offerings, but it means nothing in the big picture. Moms and dads can give birth and conceive a child, and the woman can give birth. That's a, 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 a natural child. But to enter God's kingdom, you have to be born again or from above, the Greek could mean. You gotta have a supernatural thing happen to you. You gotta repent of your sins and receive Jesus as your savior. Or you will never see heaven and the kingdom of God. You will never. Don't ever quote me that I told you you were fine. I'm telling all of us, you gotta be born again. 
You got to come to the end of yourself. You got to repent and say, Jesus, take my life. I put my faith in you as my Lord, my Savior. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You shed your blood on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. I give my life to you. I bank my life. Everything is on you now. Think of what hell's going to be like with all the religious people in hell. Screaming. There's gnashing of teeth. Why do you think Jesus said there's gnashing of teeth? Because people are going to realize, I believed a lie. I thought I could be religious and go in the kingdom of heaven. You can't. you got to be born again. you got to believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus. Not as an addendum to your life, but as numero uno, siempre, always, Jesus. You build your life around him. He's not going to build his life around you. So that's the third lie. You can be religious or try hard and live a good life and try to do more good works so that it'll outweigh the sins. And some of you are playing that game. You mess up and you go, no, I better do some good works to outdo the bad things I did that, oh, I hope no one finds out. So I'll do more good things and all of that. That's all rubbish. The only righteousness that will get you into heaven is the righteousness of Jesus. He's willing to give it to you. Give it as a gift if you put your trust in him and give him your life. Last lie. All right. I, I, God is real, Jesus is, but I just I can't do anything. Listen, you don't know what happened to me when I was 14. You don't know who molested me. You don't know what happened. You don't know the family I grew up in. I've, I've had so much happen to me. When I was in college, a guy, the professor gave me a D. I should have got a B. You don't understand the pressures I've been through in life. I got let go. The, the company contracted and I got let go. Where was God? I can't do anything. I'm justified in my indifference. Satan is just feeding people this all the time. Because, you know, what can you do? God is God. What will be, will be. I'm overwhelmed by life. You don't know. My wife's in Florida with arrhythmia. I'm eating bologna sandwiches every night. That's enough to make anyone just give up. Why, we don't all have excuses? Come on, look at me. We don't all have excuses? You watching today that are just sitting around in no man's land. You're not for God, but you're not against God. And Satan wants you right there because he knows to be in the middle is to be against Christ. With all your floundering and excuses and Freudian explanations of why you are what you are, the Bible never takes that into account. Here's what I want to leave you with. How much he loves you and me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus has done everything he can do. He died on the cross. God loved you so much he sent his only son. I was thinking of this this week. It came to me like a revelation. When Jesus was in the garden, the Bible says his soul became so troubled, it overwhelmed him. He sweat drops as of blood. And he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let, let this cup pass from me. Am I correct? And the disciples were all sleeping. He wasn't on the cross yet. If that's what he felt in the garden, what in the world did he feel on the cross? Can we even imagine it? 
He didn't have the sin of the world come on him until he was on the cross. But it was just looming and he almost died from the pain. So he did that for you and me. He rose from the dead. He's told you in a thousand ways how much he loves you. Now he's standing at the door and knocking. Look at me. What more do you want him to do? You and I are either going to get off our back end and open that door or we're going to sit there and fritter our lives away and pay the price. Don't lay it on God. Lay it on yourself. Be honest at least. Be a man. Be a woman. He's knocking at the door. I know this is to a church, but it's applicable to us. I stand at the door and I knock. So what are you going to do? What's the future of that Laodicean church, the seventh church that Jesus writes to in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? What's the future? How did that end? How did that story end? We don't know. But I'll tell you what, where hangs the balance. They either got up and let Jesus in or they sat there and said no. We believe in you. We even hear you knocking. But we're not going to disrupt our lives to let you in. Who knows what you'll do if you come in? What? Don't tell me that's not happening. Right in this building now. You believe in Jesus in some kind of mental way. But let him in. Have fellowship with him. Communion. Let him take over your life. No, 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 no. One of the prophets in the Old Testament was warned by God. You got to tell the people the truth. If they listen and turn, you'll be rewarded. But if they don't listen, at least their blood will not be on your hands because you told them the truth. Now, if you don't tell them because you're afraid how they'll react, I'm going to require guilt from you too, prophet. You didn't tell them the truth. I'm trying to tell you the truth. I love you. You don't even know how much I love you. You're like an entity to me that is amazing. I tell everyone who visits here, it's like you're made up of so many different backgrounds, thousands of people right now in this room. And yet you have your own personality. And I love it. But mixed in here, maybe you're part of that great falling away that has believed the lie. Uh, how do you know? Maybe part of it I like. I, oh, I love this verse. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bless you, prosper you. I love that verse. I put it in the bathroom. I have it in the kitchen. Well, how about these other verses like repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, ministers are being used by Satan now to distort the message and not tell the whole truth. They pick and choose verses that they know people want to hear and they can get their money and so it goes. Don't tell me that's not true. That is absolutely true. This morning I was listening, I was waiting on the Lord. I was listening to this song. It's like I'm knocking at the door, but it's different picture, metaphor. Coming home, coming home. Nevermore to roam, open wide thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming. That's what the Lord is saying to us. But how about that? Don't some of you need prayer? Don't you feel these lies getting into your life? Well, what are you going to do? Say, oh, interesting sermon. Or you're going to do this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Speak truth to his face. No. God's word is true. There are uh, repercussions. There is sowing and reaping. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I'm receiving that gift. And I'm holding on to that gift. And you're not going to pull me away. 
And I want to be born again. Or if I am born again, I'm not going to fall away. I'm drawing near to God. Oh, there's a good verse. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Isn't that the word for some of you watching and you are in the balcony and downstairs? God is saying to you, please draw near to me. You take one step, I'll take five toward you. But get out of the rut that you're in. Please listen to Pastor Jim Simbler. He's pleading with you, not for your money. I'm saying you need to draw near to God. Well, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not that bad and all. See, that's another lie. Just humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. Let's close our eyes. I will stay here if it runs to the next meeting. And I will stand here with the pastors and pray over anyone who just said, Pastor, the message was for me and my family. Satan is making a move on us. I want to draw near to God. I need to draw near to God. I believe, Lord, I do believe. I believe. Just get up out of your seat and come on here to the front and stand. If two of you came, I'll sleep like a baby tonight. Just come. Anyone. Everyone. Come on. That's it. Come. What, God's not going to honor you when you humble yourself? From the balcony, why don't you come? Anybody here want to join this group? Waiting for you. No, I'm not going to rush this. No, no, no. I can rush a lot of things. Not rushing this. You'll be so happy. We'll hug each other in heaven. I'm not trying to be cute or melodramatic. Some people might not think you're hip. Whatever. Whatever. Someone might even laugh at you. Then you'll really be blessed because they're laughing at you for Christ's sake. I'm waiting for those from the balcony. It's not a sermon. You didn't see me consulting notes. This is my heart for you today. God put this in my heart. I know he did. The Bible says the angels rejoice when one person repents. One, just one, says, "Uh uh-oh, wrong road. I'm turning around, making a 180. All the angels start going, hey, praise God. Come on. And those of you who are watching, stand up in the name of the Lord, wherever you are. Where you're sitting, whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, just Stand up in your bedroom, in your kitchen, wherever you are, at your computer. Stand up and say, no, I'm joining with the folks in Brooklyn. I believe in you, Lord. We mean business today, Lord. We're coming home. Coming home to Jesus. Coming home to his word. Coming home to truth coming home to righteousness, turning our back on Satan, on sin, on lies, on fake stuff. We're banking everything on you, Jesus. Thank you for dealing with the hearts of so many. Unless you build the house, They that labor, labor in vain. They can do all their work and invest money, and it comes to nothing, nothing, 
nada. But we trust in you today, Jesus. I need you. My brothers and sisters need you. You're the best friend we've ever had. Tell them, praise them for a second. Just tell them, everyone, out loud. Just use your mouth. Don't clap. Just praise them out loud. Gracias, Señor. Por todo, Señor. Te amo mucho. So we've drawn a line in the sand, or, Lord, we've gotten up and we've opened the door. We have opened the door. You said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears, we have heard, we have gotten up, and we have opened the door. We don't care what's in the past. The past is gone. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. We don't have to live paralyzed by the past. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So we stand on your word today. We receive you, Jesus, as the answer to everything. Everything, Lord. You're the answer to everything. What God is saying now to us in this day we live in is Jesus. And we receive his message. Who is his son? So now watch over my brothers and sisters. Let this word find a good place in their heart. I pray they'll be in the prayer meeting on Tuesday. I pray they'll be in their Bible before the sun goes down. Speak to us through your word. Help us to lean heavy on your word, Lord. Save us from the corruption that's in the world through the lusts of the flesh. It's like that, Lord. It's like that. It's like that. Unless you hold us, we will not be held. But through you, we can do all things. Blessed be your holy name. So now, Lord, thank you for this meeting from the first song to this very moment. Gracias, Señor, por todo. Oh, you are so beautiful, Lord. You're so beautiful. If you think the Lord is beautiful, put your hands together real loud with me. Come on. Gracias, Señor. Bless the people as they give. Get us home safely. Bless the first-time visitors as they go downstairs, Lord. Let, let this visit be sweet for them. We ask all these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn around, give someone a hug or a handshake, and God be with you. Sure.